Well, welcome again. My name is Pastor Milo. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. I want to share a few things with you today. And so if you'll get your Bibles out, we'll be in the First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3. If you're using that black Bible uh, in our pews in front of you, that's uh, page 1238 if uh, you're making your way there. Uh, I get the privilege now, my daughter Delia gets to be in the service with us here. Uh, she's graduated out of our uh, kids' programs, and sometimes she serves down there, so she's been out for about a month uh, working uh, with the kids down in the, in the Randall Kids area. Uh, but when she was in kindergarten, and we didn't have quite as many obstacles in our lives, I used to go uh, to her kindergarten class every Friday and eat lunch with Thalia. I would uh, come in and, and check in in the office and say hello to the ladies there in the office, and then I would go down to the lunchroom and sit down uh, in the lunchroom at the little table, you know, my knees trying to cram them under the table, and, and sit there and enjoy lunch with my kindergartner. Now, some of you, as I share that with you, you're thinking, wow, that's really good. Bravo, Dad. Good job. Now, imagine if my wife had done the same thing. If every Friday she showed up at the school, checked in in the office, now goes down to the cafeteria, uh, sits there in the cafeteria uh, with all of the kids, and if she was there every Friday, every week, what would begin to happen? Suddenly there would be no monitors in the cafeteria because as, as time passed, they'd realize, well, she can handle this table and then maybe she'll just keep an eye on the rest of the tables and she'll put the little uh, straw in the juice boxes because she's a lot better at it than dad is anyways. He'll just stab a hole through the backside of the thing and get covered juice all over the place. And little by little, all of a sudden, Erin would have the whole lunchroom to herself. There was a Friday that I showed up, one Friday, and uh, for one reason or another, the way that I normally plan to bring her lunch, uh, I showed up and I didn't have lunch with me. I showed up for lunch with my daughter and I didn't have any lunch. And so some of you are thinking, well, as, I don't, why did you do that? Didn't your wife pack you a lunch to take? The whole concept, the whole idea of what you as mothers do in the day in, day out. They say when a child is 18 years old, they've had 18,000 hours from mom specifically dedicated to that kid's and child-rearing hours. Moms, we are so grateful for you. A junior high science teacher lectured the properties of magnets for kids in his class. And the very next day, he gave his students a quiz on the class. The first question on the test read this, my name begins with an M, it has six letters, and I pick things up. What am I? <laughs> and half of the class turned in the answer, mother. There's some great portraits of motherhood in scripture. Do you remember Moses' mother? Uh, what she went through to break the law uh, to save, rescue her son, all that she wanted to take care of him. Uh, we see the sacrificial love of a mother before King Solomon when she's given uh, the, the hard choice of whether to divide her son in half or give it to a person who's stealing her son away, and she gives sacrificially of her son. She's willing to, uh, to save his life. The mother of King Lemuel uh, in the great Proverbs 31 tells us about a good wife, what a good life, a good wife looks like and behaves like. 
In the New Testament, we see the mother of James and John, the disciples, and she talks to them and and really pushes them because she loves her children so much that she wants her boys to be at the right hand of the Father when the heavenly kingdom is set up. I'm aware also that Mother's Day isn't a great day for all of you. Maybe you're a mother and you're here uh, and you've had a trouble. Maybe you've wanted to be a mother and you haven't been able to for some reason. Uh, Perhaps you haven't had your own uh, best situation. Your mother was not the best mother in the world. Uh, Some of you have a mother who's died, maybe even recently. Some of you have lost a child, and so that is a particular pain uh, during this time of year. Uh, Some of you mothers have a wayward child this morning, and you're just uh, praying for that child to come back, and you know uh, that they're in God's hands now, and that is all that you can handle. Some of you are flying solo when it comes to mothering and parenting, and you're working hard to nurture your child's faith. So I'll tell you, today's message has mothers in mind, uh, but it is not for mothers only. Mothers, we are glad that you're here. Thank you. Happy Mother's Day. We're glad you're here. But this message is not just for mothers. Child rearing is a high calling for each And every one of us, as we just talked about with this illustration of the child dedication a few minutes ago, uh, that it is going to take an entire church, an entire community, it's going to take you to raise these children. So if you'll take out in your bulletins, you've got a white sheet of paper, is the outline of where the message will go today. And the first statement, the thing that I want you to know today is this, how a heritage of faith can make a significant spiritual impact on the next generation. How can a heritage of faith make a significant spiritual impact on the next generation? We're going to talk about that today. That's where we're going. We want you to be able to walk away with some real practical things. But first I want to read to you a story that I read this week. It goes like this. When grandma goes to court in a trial in a southern small town, prosecuting attorney called his first witness, a grandmotherly elderly woman, woman to the stand. He approached her and said, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She responded, well, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. (laughs) You lie. You cheat on your wife. You manipulate people and talk about them behind their back. You think you're a big shot when you haven't got the brains to realize you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. The lawyer was stunned. Not knowing what else to do, he pointed across the room and said, Well, Mrs. Jones, do you know the defense attorney? And she again replied, Well, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bailey since he was a child, too. He's lazy, bigoted. He's got a drinking problem. He can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Not to mention he's cheated on his wife with three different women. One of them was your wife. Yes, I know him. The defense attorney nearly collapsed. Then the judge asked both counselors to approach him at the bench in a very quiet tone said, if either of you fools ask her if she knows me, I'm sending you to the electric chair. (laughs) Moms turn into grandmas. And grandmothers seem like there's not much that they don't know. Some of you are grandmothers. Look down to your daughters, sons, and just let them know. There's not much that I don't know. Nobody knows you better than your mom. Nobody knows you better and loves you better than your mom. 
So we're in this series called Until Jesus Returns. And as we look at this book of 1 Thessalonians, what we're looking for is how are we to live our lives day to day until Jesus returns? The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the city of Thessalonica saying, how am I supposed to fulfill what I've been called to do? How is this church supposed to live until Jesus returns? And so what I'd like to do this morning is introduce you, if you don't know about her already, to a young woman named Eunice. She was raised in a religious home. She was raised by a woman, her mother, named Lois. She loved to learn the stories of the Bible. She, she was young, and she was overjoyed by going to services and being around uh, people there at the church and learning about God. As she approached her teenage years, however, against the instruction of her mother, she became attracted to a, a young boy who was not into the religious practices at all. And so against the wishes of her godly mother, who was teaching of her faith, and at this tug of conscience against all of that, she married him. And this guy thought that spiritual matters were for weak people. After a couple of years of marriage, Eunice and her husband had a baby boy who they named Timothy. And so after Timothy was born, Eunice's dad, uh, Lois's husband, passed away, and they asked Lois to move in with them. And so Lois came and helped to raise little Timothy. Timmy was a des- delight to everyone he was around. His mother and his grandmother spent hours teaching him, training him, praying with him, training him in the thinking of God and the things of God. They didn't have veggie tales. They didn't have VBS. But somehow they were able to raise this child and created a spiritual environment where little tiny Tim could flourish. Then one day, this preacher named Paul, he came to their hometown of Lystra, and he spoke to both of them about a man named Jesus. Eunice and Lois listened intently, and as they heard him talk, something stirred inside of them, and they realized that the religion that they had been following now had a name and a person and relationship with Jesus, and they were converted to Christianity. These new believers turned all of their focused energy on Timothy and all that he was and teaching him all that Jesus is and was. We know from reading the book of Acts that Paul himself in time took notice of this young boy, Timothy, as a teenager and partnering with his mother and with his grandmother, he led him as well to a saving faith. Later, Timothy partnered together with Paul, and they went, and the gospel continues to spread, and he traveled with Paul and with Silas. And many, many years later, Paul, while he's in prison, awaiting his execution, he writes Timothy some letters. He also sends Timothy out to check on some of the churches that he started. Thessalonica is one of these churches so if you remember from as we've talked through the series, Paul and his traveling companion Silas, they had visited this, this city of Thessalonica. They were there only three, maybe four weeks, and a church got started in the time that they were there. And so he sends Timothy to go check on the church to find out what's going on with them because he knew that it was going to be tough there for them. And Paul, because of the spiritual parent that he is, knows that he is sending the right guy for the job. Timothy is going to be sent as a person proven in service to the Lord. Paul, as a mentor, he knows that he's not going to be able to trust this task to just anyone, but he's going to trust it to young Timothy. Timothy gets two letters as well from 
the Apostle Paul. These letters contain some of the teaching uh, that we learn about Timothy and how he should behave as a church leader. And as Paul has written those letters, we get to read them as well as First and Second Timothy. He reflects there on their mother's and grandmother's influence on his life. Second Timothy 3.14 says this, Paul urges Timothy to hang tough when tough times come. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those things and from whom you've learned it. Timothy not only learned these things cognitively, it wasn't just information transfer. He had seen it practiced and demonstrated by his mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. 2 Timothy 3.15 shows us this, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which you are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Since infancy, since he was a child or a toddler, Lois and Eunice had teamed up to provide high-powered Bible teaching for a boy, even as though he was just crawling around. They made sure that he knew and understand God's Word. So a reminder, I want you to know how to have the heritage of faith can make a significant spiritual impact on the next generation. As we look here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul is going to give us an outline, give us a model for how we can do that. What should we be modeling for the next generation? So that white sheet of paper your first fill-in is this. Instill a genuine love for others. Instill a genuine love for others. 1 Thessalonians 3, beginning in verse 5. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Now, if you'll work with me here, take that pencil. There's one in the pew in front of you. Circle the word faith. I'm going to have you circle the word faith every time that you see it in our passage today. Circle the word, underline it, put a star next to it. Find some way to be able to come back to that in a minute. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. He's concerned about them. He has a genuine love for them as a church, as a congregation. He wants to know what is going on. He knew that they were under intense persecution. He wants to know what is going on. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. He said, I know that we had a good thing started, but I want to make certain that you're doing okay. He says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your, circle it, faith. And love. He has told us that you have always had pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. You see this parent child relationship between Paul and the church. He is longing to be with them, he is concerned for them, he wants them to grow up, but he wants to make certain that they are okay. He's acknowledging that he knew when he left that things would not be easy for this church. He knew that they would be persecuted. He knew that they would suffer for their faith. Why? Because even in the three weeks that Paul was there, he had seen the persecution that Christians were going to go through there in that city. So these followers of Christ had not come into the faith blindly. They knew it would be tough. But Paul wanted to do this. He wanted to send some reinforcements. He wanted to encourage them. Because of his genuine love, he sends Timothy. And he has taught Timothy how to genuinely love others. He has demonstrated for him what it looks like to care for someone. And so he sends Timothy, and Timothy comes back with an encouraging report. 
He comes back to Paul with the good news that things are going well, that even in the midst of persecution and trials, that this church is growing and thriving, and it gives just such encouragement to Paul, who is looking at potentially uh, being in jail for the rest of his life, and at one point he would be killed for his faith. Sending Timothy was of great personal sacrifice to Paul. Because of his genuine love, he sacrificed his right-hand man, the guy that he had been working with and discipling since he was a young teenager. Now he is sending Timothy away. And the love that it took to do that, the sacrifice that it took to do that, <coughs> knowing that he might never see Timothy again, but he loved this church and wanted to be certain they were moving along correctly. Not all things have to be of great sacrifice, but they do have to be genuine, a genuine love for others. Mother Teresa says this, or said this, do not think that love, in order to be genuine, has to be extraordinary. Do not think that love, in order to be genuine, has to be extraordinary. When Paul sends Timothy out, he sends him out. He is not certain what's going to happen. He's not certain how he'll be received in Thessalonica. He's not certain of any of those things. But because he genuinely loved, he said, this is what we have to do. And he sends Timothy, and he gets a great report. How can we instill in the next generation spiritual movement? Really, first, instill a genuine love for others. Secondly, here's your second fill-in, encourage a joyful response. Encourage a joyful response. Look at this, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. Circle it, underline it, highlight it, star it. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. You can box verse 8. Verse 8 is really the, the crux of this whole passage today is kind of built around verse 8. Verse 8 just says, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Now how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? In the midst of trials, in the midst of persecution, we are encouraged and we have joy because you are standing firm in your faith. Which of the following causes you to erupt in joy, excited, thankfulness, and tell someone else, uh, we're going to give you a nice raise? I would tell someone about that. If you think that I should have that, tell someone about that. Here are the keys to your new car. There's excitement there. I mean, Oprah has an entire show because of this. Here's your new car, right? It's even simpler than that. Here's a free coffee to Tim Hortons. And something inside of us gets excited, right? Or if you meet a friend who you haven't seen in a while and you hear that in spite of many trials and many sufferings and many difficult things that are going through, that they continue to stand firm in Jesus Christ. The beauty of that should be the same as if someone handed you keys to a new car. The excitement, the joy, that is what makes Paul's heart leap for joy. That which makes us really happy reveals our true virtues and values. So even Paul needed encouragement and comfort from God. 
that should be encouraging to you and me as an aside. As we look at these really uh, substantial giants of Scripture, we look at Paul, we look at Moses, we look at David, we read through the Psalms, and you're going to see times where these spiritual giants are really struggling and they need encouragement. And you know what gives a believer the most encouragement is knowing that those around them have stood strong in the faith. Encourage a joyful Response. Verse 8, I said, is the crux of this. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. The paraphrase of these few verses here of the message paraphrase says it this way, and I really like this. But now that Timothy is back, bringing this terrific report on your faith and your love, we feel a lot better. It's especially gratifying to know that you continue to think well of us and that you would want to see us as much as we want to see you. In the middle of our trouble and hard times here, just knowing that you're doing well keeps us going. Knowing that your faith is alive keeps us alive. Knowing that your faith is alive keeps us alive. Instill a genuine love for others. Encourage a joyful response. And then thirdly, pray for an earnest heart. Pray for an earnest heart. Verse 10, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Circle it, underline it, highlight it. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This earnest heart, this earnest prayer that he has is that they would not lose their faith. And then there is a benediction, basically, that happens here in verses 11, 12, and 13. And if you want to kind of find where they're going, you can mark the word may. This is the prayer that he has for them. And there are three different things that Paul prays. First, that our God and Father would clear the way for us. May the way be clear. May there not be any obstacles in the way between us. May there not be anything that would sever our relationship or keep us from being able to talk to each other or write these letters to each other. May there not be anything in the way of us coming to you and seeing you again face to face. Mothers, isn't that the prayer that you have for your children? May there not be anything that would ever come between us that would make our relationship be damaged. Second prayer, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow. Your love increase and overflow. The idea of something just bubbling over and overflowing and it being a good thing, <laughs> not a volcanic ash or a uh, cup of coffee that's just spilling all over and burning you, but something positive that, that is just overflowing. May your love increase and overflow just as ours is doing for you already. And then the third prayer, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy. May he strengthen your heart so that you may be blameless. There there be nothing in your life that people could point to you and say, well, this person is damaging others because of this. And Paul's prayer is, may you be blameless. May your heart be pure and clean and holy 
Verses 10 through 13, there's this important transition that Paul is praying that faith and prayer need to go together. If you've been working through with me there in your Bibles and you've circled the word faith each along the way, and some of you are circling in our pew Bibles, the black ones, that's fine. Next time we get to that passage, someone else will know what we were talking about today, all right? The word faith, you see it again and again and again and again. And look, as we get to verses 10 through 13, what does he talk about praying for? We pray most earnestly what is lacking in your faith. This is what we are earnestly praying for, that growth would happen. A parent, a grandparent, the, the thing that we look for most in our children is that they would grow in their faith. Now may our God and Father clear the way for us. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow. May he strengthen your heart so that you may be blameless and holy. May your faith grow. This week in preparation for the message, I called my mom and asked her, did a little bit of an interview with her, asked her for some of the stories that I had known and had heard my grandfather tell about her multiple times and clarify which parts of the story she remembers and doesn't remember. One of my grandfather's favorite stories to tell about my mom was when she was uh, a teenager, uh, maybe she was getting to be 20 years old, somewhere in there, a the late teenager, and so they, there on the farm, they would have uh, these horses. And so she was uh, basically self-appointed as the one who was going to break the new colts. So the rest of the family was sort of interested in horses. They all, there's a large family, they all had a horse that they would just go out and kind of ride in the woods. But she wanted to be the one that would break the wild horse. And so my grandfather's strategy uh, of, of breaking a horse was that he would take Horses, as you know, most of you know, uh, have four legs, okay? And so they would take and hobble the horse by taking one of the horse's rear legs and tying it up underneath the belly of the horse. So the horse only has three legs. It takes away some of the fight out of the horse. And then she would get on the horse, and, then, and that would be it. It was on. It was Rodeo Dawn out there, man. She was going to take care of of this horse. And my grandfather loves to tell the stories about how the horse would just run back and forth across the property and she would just hold on, hold on, hold on. And the only way that the horse could get her off, my, my mom swears that she has never been bucked off a horse whatsoever. The only way is if the horse dropped and did a full roll through, then she would step off and then step right back on as the horse came back around and take off again for another ride on the horse. That's my mom's personality. My mom is a strong-willed woman. My mom is, is fierce. I'm going to tell you what. She's a fierce woman. So I said, hey, mom, can you tell me maybe some stories about your mom, my grandmother, and, and what type of a fierce personality she had as well? And mom, she was on the phone with me, but if she could look at me straight in the eye, she said, she had seven kids in nine years. She's a fierce woman. <laughs> Seven kids in nine years. First one was born when she was 20 years old. So by the time that she was 29, she had seven kids. Uh, the stories about her uh, driving the kids to school in a dump truck uh, because that was all the money that they had. So all the kids piled into the cab and like, she had to shift this big construction vehicle and drive the kids and kick them out the door when they got to school. She had a tough life, my grandmother did. 
Uh, her first husband was an abusive man, and, and they went through him leaving them, her, a single mom now with seven kids. And the process of then he, as he left, uh, he was uh, fatally killed. He was hit by a train, driving across the train tracks. And so now she's uh, not only been divorced, but now she's a widower with seven, a widow with seven kids. And the, the, the difficulty that they went through in that. But I'll tell you that both my mom and my mother, my mom and my grandmother, that fierceness is most impassioned by wanting to see their kids come to faith. That fierceness, that drive, the, the questions that my mom wants to ask me about raising my kids, the questions that, the things that excite her the most, the things that, that give her the most joy, and the same thing with my grandmother, the stories that she wants to hear the most are the stories about how her grandson became a pastor and is sharing the gospel week after week. In fact, she's got multiple grandchildren as pastors of churches. That's her legacy. That's her story. That is what she is most impassioned about. So in your outlines this morning, whether you're a mother, a grandmother, a father, a parent, someone who doesn't have any children, but you know your responsibility here in the church is being connected to the larger body, the larger family, I'll ask you this question. What three words could be used to describe you? What three words could be used to describe you? Both my mother and my grandmother, one of those three words I would definitely use is strong. But maybe that's not the word that would describe you. What three words would be used to describe you? What Paul is teaching here, he gives the examples here, here are three words that he might use to describe someone who is going to be passionate. The words genuine, joyful, earnest. What if those were the words that describe you this morning? Genuine, joyful, earnest. Not the words proud or arrogant or loud or self-centered. But the words to describe you were the words demonstrated here, the words earnest, joyful, genuine. And then the next question being, what three words should describe or would you want to describe your home? And you could use those same three words again when it comes to what God is calling you to as parents, as you are raising your children. What, what words should be used? They would be the same words, genuine, joyful, earnest. Could that be what describes our home? But maybe you need to personalize that, and I understand that. Maybe those words are loving, sincere, blameless. Faithful, those are all words that you would pull out of the text today. What are the words that would describe you? What are the words that would describe your home? You understand, though, that the words that describe your home also ought to be the words that describe you. There is no way that you can try to force the first list into the second list without them being united. Our responsibility 
is to instill a genuine love for others, to encourage a joyful response in all things, all matter of persecution, to be able to talk through and, and, and react with joy. But if we're going to be people of faith, we're going to have to pray for it. Because what I'm describing, as you know very, very well, does not come naturally. And so this morning, as we close, I'm going to pray for that for us. Miss Wanda's going to come and she's going to play. We're so glad to have Wanda here this morning. But as we look at this text and we see a parent to his church, it should prompt us to care for our families and for our church in a similar way. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word, the way that it speaks to us. We thank you for Mother's Day and how it just reminds us of the role of the family. Lord, the way that it connects us to uh, what has happened generation and generation and generation before. An understanding of the responsibility of what it's like to raise children. So, Lord, we as a church... We've been tasked with the challenge of raising children who ultimately will give their lives wholeheartedly to you. That accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and pursue you with their whole life. And that they would be growing in faith. And so just as Paul wrote, Lord, this is our prayer this morning. That you, God, that you would clear the way between us and our children. Lord, that there would be nothing that would break that relationship so that we could share your truths with them. Lord, we pray that you would make your love increase in us and that joy would overflow in our hearts and it would be evident. And then, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us for the journey. We know that's a difficult task that you have called us to, but you will strengthen us as we go. And so we pray that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ushers, if you'll come forward this morning. We have our ushers each week. They bring the offering plates forward so that you can bring uh, your tithes and your offerings before the Lord. And we thank you so much for doing that. It's also a way for you to respond to the message today. In each of your pews, there's a connection card. It is a way for you to respond. What is Jesus doing in your heart and in your life this morning? Would you fill that out on the connection card? We will pray for you. Uh, last week we sent out some 30 or 40 responses to the prayer connection cards that we had last week. Can we pray for what's going on in your life? Can we start a dialogue with you with what God is doing in your life? If God's calling you this morning that your first step is to give financially, we pray that you would do that as well. The opportunity is here before you. So Lord, we thank you so much for all that you have given us. And so we give back to you in this very practical way this morning. Lord, you have called us to move. You have called us to grow. Lord, we are not going to be static anymore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.